Resurrection Sunday. Can you imagine that people around the world today are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ? All over the world, people are celebrating a resurrected Savior. What a great blessing it is. And to think about it from this perspective, before the Bible was ever written, there were people that believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that he was the Son of God. They believed that he had come to save the people from their sins. There were people that believed that. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have lived in Jerusalem in and around that time when Jesus would have went from place to place teaching and preaching and healing? Can you imagine what it would have been like in the emotions of the moment when Jesus was crucified, what was being said is Jesus was placed in a tomb. Can you imagine the stir, the resurrection, when a dead man walked? We sit on the other side of the resurrection. I think we really take for granted the emotions of what took place during that time. I can imagine what it would have been like living on the left side, the other side of the resurrection. What emotions we might have felt, the things that we might have thought, the stuff that may have went through our minds. You know, we don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, though, just because the Bible says so. But we have firsthand accounts of people that wrote down what they saw specifically, and they wrote down also firsthand accounts of what others saw, and we're blessed to be able to have those inside of God's Word. We, you know, we have the, the, the written evidences of what people saw, like Matthew and Mark and Luke and, and John, and also, you know, the writings of Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. As far as we know, Jesus, James really wasn't a Jesus follower until after the resurrection. And then he became a leader in the early church. And we know what James believed because of what he wrote in his book, what he pinned down. And we know that he believed that he was the son of God. And we know that he believed that he died on a cross. And we know that he believed that Jesus was raised from the dead because of what the words that he did pen. But it wasn't just those who were close to Jesus that, that wrote down um, what they experienced and what they saw because there were also those who didn't believe that wrote down and penned their words. I mean, I go back and I think about the guy, Saul, who was a persecutor of believers. Yet there was, a, there was an encounter that he had with the resurrected Savior that radically changed his life. Paul would go, Saul would go from, from persecuting believers to, to telling others of what he had seen and what he had heard with his own eyes, what he had experienced. He preached the gospel to other people because he couldn't keep silent of what he had experienced. And we know Paul for being one that went out and started churches and spread the gospel all throughout that region. We're blessed to know that Paul is, 
is the one that wrote some two-thirds of the New Testament that we now share. But not just Paul. There's a character by the name of Nero in the old, that we find that was, a, that was a Roman emperor, a nasty, nasty guy. Nasty guy. I mean, they, they said that he'd, he'd rather kill people than look at them. Said to have killed his mother, stepmother, other family members. Persecuted believers. Um, said to have hung in the midst of persecution would take believers, followers of Jesus, have them dipped in oil, set them on fire, and light his garden so that they could see at night. It's the type of person he was. It was, it was Nero that was said by historians to have set the city of Rome on fire back in 64 AD and then turn around and use the Christians as a scapegoat and say it was them that did it and used it as a way of persecuting the believers and followers of Christ. And this is 30-something years after the resurrection of Jesus. 1,500 miles away, 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Wow. They say it was Nero. It was during Nero's time, and Nero was the one that had Peter executed, crucified upside down. They said it was Peter was the one that had Paul beheaded for his faith in Christ. So I think we, we oftentimes forget because we live on the other side of the cross. But we just don't believe in the resurrection just because the Bible has to say, but because of the written testimonies of many. But not just of the written testimonies of many. Think of those who were willing to give their lives, not because of what they thought or what they felt or what they heard, but what they believed to be true. I mean, how many of you these days would be willing to die for a lie? How many of you today would be willing to die for your faith because of what you know to be true? I mean, if you were put on trial today and you were being persecuted, how many of, in this, of us in this room today would give a testimony and stand up for our faith in Jesus Christ? And yet those who lived during that day were willing to die for what they believed because they believed that the resurrection of Jesus was true. It wasn't just a fairy tale or made up story. So people around the world today, they celebrate Easter. And today we want to tell the story of Easter because it's really important that we remember that story and the resurrection of Jesus. But today, listen, I want us to also talk about the implications of the resurrection. Because when you have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, it changes your life. Is there anybody in here that's had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ that would tell, be willing to tell the world my life is different because of an encounter with Jesus Christ? Not a, not a Christ who's in the tomb, but a Jesus who is resurrected and sits at the right hand of the Father. And that our hope lives. Hope is not dead, but he lives. You know, if I go back to the Old Testament... The people of God believed that, that God would send a Messiah to be a deliverer. And if we go back, we know that in the, in the 
2,000 years before Jesus would die on a cross, we know that God would, would establish a covenant with a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham, that in that covenant, God would say, I, I, I'm going I'm to make, make you a father of many nations. And that nation would be Israel. And God would use the nation of Israel uh, to, be, to have an impact in the lives of the, of, the, of the nations of the world. And he would not only impact them, but bless them. And God would also use them to be a light to the world. But God would, would also, outside of that, that people that God would bring out of that lineage, would, would, would come the Messiah down the line. And in the New Testament, up until the New Testament, we know that the Messiah had not come. And when we enter into the New Testament, there were those that believed that John the Baptist was the Messiah. You, maybe you remember that story. And John said, listen, he said, man, he said, I'm just a simple guy. He said, it's not me. He said, I'm not even worthy to wear the sandals of the one that you call the Messiah. But one day, with preaching down by the river, he saw Jesus and he said, there he is, the Lamb of God, the one who comes to take away the sins of the world. And if you know the story, after teaching and preaching and healing the sick, eventually Jesus would become at odds with those who were the religious leaders. They became jealous. And eventually... They would crucify him. And that was where we ended up last week. And I want you to turn over to John chapter 20 because that's where we're going to pick up the story today as we, as we talk about the story of the resurrection through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. We've looked at, we've looked at and talked about the, the characters of the passion from Judas, from the criminal on the cross, and today we're going to pick it up through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. But before we do that, I want you to think about this just for a second. On that day that Jesus was crucified, I have to believe that it would be safe to say there were no followers of Jesus left. Danny Hayes, I want you to think about that. Because when Jesus died that day, so did their hope. I mean, because his death undermined everything that he had ever said. His death that day undermined everything that he had taught because Jesus was the one that had taught them. If you remember, I am the resurrection and the life, but now he was dead. So if he was dead, how in the world would he, would he be the Messiah? How could it be possible? So here's Jesus being placed in a tomb and the people believed that Jesus was the Messiah now, had abandoned the faith and they had ran. Because when Jesus died, so did their hope. Because Jesus was dead. And dead means dead. He was dead. Hope was gone. It was lost. And you got to think about this. Nobody was standing at the ticket booth trying to buy a ticket waiting for the resurrection. No tickets were sold that day. Because nobody expected Jesus to rise from the grave. He was dead and that was the way they expected it to remain. Because a dead man doesn't rise from the grave. He stays dead. None of them expected to see Jesus alive again. And that's where we begin the story in John chapter 20 verse 1. And this is how John records the story. Early on Sunday morning while it was dark, so it's still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. Now Mary, if you go back and you look, Mary was somebody that Jesus had an encounter with earlier on and she was demon-possessed. 
Jesus healed her. She became a follower. She believed that Jesus was a Messiah, and she was always close to him. Do you see her name mentioned many times, many times in the Scriptures? Well, here it is, the morning after. She goes, she goes to the tomb. She's looking for Jesus. She's going to the tomb to pay her respects. Luke records that she had um, prepared some spices, some things maybe to, to prepare the body of Jesus. You know, it's funny how women don't think men do a good job. <laughs> maybe she was going back to take care of what the guys didn't do prior. I don't know really why she was going back. Maybe she was going to mourn. Maybe she was going to pay her respects. But I do know this, that Mary was distraught because her hope was gone. She probably didn't know really what to do. She was lost. But she was going there expecting to find a body. And the scriptures say, in fact, she found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. I don't think that Mary's first thought was that Jesus had risen from the dead. But she found the tomb of the entrance open. Probably immediately, somebody stole the body. Somebody's taken the body. I mean, that would have seemed to have been a logical thought because who would have expected a resurrection? She goes on. She ran. She found Simon Peter and the other disciple. And I like the way John describes himself, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Isn't that the way you like to explain it to your, your brothers and sisters, your siblings? I'm the one that mother loves the most. <laughs> it's almost like John was saying, hey. Mary shows up at the tomb. She finds it empty. Records. She runs back to the house where she finds the guys. They're all hiding out. And she knew that if they would kill Jesus, she would, they would also maybe search for them and kill them too because they were followers of Christ. And Mary gets to the place where the guys are at and she's probably out of breath. And she, she says, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know what they've, where they've put him. And we know by by looking at the other accounts of the scriptures that Mary wasn't the only one that was there. They went to the tomb that there were some other ladies that went with her. But you remember that John is recording this from her perspective. We don't know where they've put him. That's not too far-fetched to have believed that somebody had stolen the body because there were those that hated him. There were those that wanted to cause conflict, those that wanted to, to cause issues within within the, that, that area. So stealing the body of Jesus would have been something that somebody could have done. And we don't know what they've done with him. They've stolen his body, obviously. And Peter and the other disciple, John, and this is really funny because I, I have to look at this from, think about this from me and Brian, okay? Okay, here's me and Brian. Just Let's say Brian is the beloved one. John is Brian. I'll be Peter. Sheila will be the demon-possessed woman that was healed. Okay. Is Sheila in here? There she is. So Sheila has gone to the tomb. She finds out that Jesus isn't there. 
She comes running. She finds Brian and I. We take off. Now, I'll read this from this perspective. Look and see what it says. Peter and the other disciple, John, the beloved one, the smaller one, the faster one, they start out for the tomb. They both were running. But the other disciple, John, the smaller one, the faster one, the younger one, outran Peter. The fatter one, the older one, the smarter one. And he reached the tomb first. John, Brian, stooped, looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. He said, I'm not going to go there. You got to know Brian to know he's not going in there. I'm going to wait on Sid till he gets here. He'll tell me what's going on. Simon Peter arrived out of breath, went right on inside, right on inside. He noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, Brian, also went in. Okay, Sid says it's clear. I can go in now. He goes in and went and found and saw and he believed. For until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. See, earlier on in Jesus' teaching, there was something that Jesus said in reference to destroying the temple. And you, you destroy it and I'll raise it. I'll rise it up in three days. They didn't understand that until now. I love what it says. Look, look. Then they went home. They went home. I wish I could explain that. I bet all of a sudden they're like going, come on, Merle, we need to go back to the house and think about this. What's going on? They went home. Meanwhile, Mary makes her way back to the tomb. And this is what John records. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying as she wept. She stooped and she looked in. Remembering that Peter and John had already been there, but now she's there by herself, distraught, overwhelmed, not having a clue what's going on. The only thing that she knows, Jesus was there, now he's not there. She thinks somebody's stolen the body. She's standing outside what she's supposed to do, who she's supposed to be able to trust. She stoops over, she looks into the tomb, and it says in verse 12, she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her. Well, duh. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. Who in the world would steal a body? Better yet, why would they steal him? And I don't know where they've put him. And John writes that when she turned to leave, she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. She didn't recognize him. Now, it could have been she didn't recognize him because she had been crying and emotionally distraught. It could have been that Jesus was standing in the shadows. It could have been the time of day. I don't know. 
She didn't recognize him for whatever the reason. I know that she wasn't expecting him to see him there. You ever, you ever seen somebody, you're used to seeing somebody in, in, in an environment, you know what I'm saying, you're used to seeing a person in an environment, and all of a sudden you get outside of that environment and you see them, and, and, and then you, it's even hard to recognize them. You've been there before, haven't you? Yeah. Sometimes you can't even remember their name. But you don't even recognize Jesus. Here's Jesus, probably with a smile on his face. And I'll tell you what, things are fixing to get really jiggy, real. Now, Jesus says, dear woman, ask her the question, why, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And ask her the same question. Who are you looking for? Like he didn't know. Who are you looking for? And John adds a piece, of, a piece of information here that I think is so critical. And it's something that he could have only added because it was, he, had, he had learned this in a conversation with Mary. And this would have been one of those pieces of information that when people would have found out that Mary was the first one to have seen Jesus after the resurrection... It would have been one of those pieces of information that they would have said, hey, hey, Mary, tell, tell us that. Tell us that part one more time. Tell, just, hey, just, just tell us that part of the story one, one more time. Tell us what happened. Tell us what happened. And Jesus is there, and she thinks he's the gardener, the gardener of all people. And you know why she thought he was a gardener? Because she wasn't expecting it to be Jesus. Because Jesus was what? He was dead. She thought he was dead. Because the last time she saw him, he was dead. So she thought he was, she was talking to the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him, and I'll go and get him. Look, if you've, just tell me, and I'll go get some guys, and we'll go get him, and we'll bring him back, and we'll... Make it the way that it needs to be. And, and we won't even ever say a word. Just, just tell me. Will you just tell me? Hmm. And Jesus did something. And he did something that was so, so important. But it was so personal. And it was that encounter called her name. What did he say? Mary. I bet he didn't go, Mary! <laughs> no, he didn't do that. Hey, Mary. Mary. She knew who it was. She'd heard that voice before. See, she had heard that inflection before. She, 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 she knew. She knew. And she turned and she cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. And I don't know what happened in that little space of time, but something happened in this space and time for Jesus to respond, don't cling to me. So I don't know what happened, but there must have been like a woof just jump 
And Jesus says, listen, don't cling. Don't cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. And he goes on to tell her what she needs to do, but go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. And it goes on to record that Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, what did she tell them? I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. I saw him. I saw him with my own eyes. He's alive. And a personal encounter with the resurrected Christ changes everything. See a dead Jesus, Jesus in the grave, doesn't mean nothing. But a resurrected Jesus means everything. See, because of the resurrection, I can believe that when I pray, man, God hears, God hears my prayers and he answers my prayers. Because of the resurrection, because of the resurrected Christ, the same Christ who told us that when we pray, we're to pray as if God is our Father. And when we pray, we can be confident. Because not only does He hear our prayers, He answers our prayers. And He knows what we pray before we ever pray. And we can believe that. I love what 1 John 5.14 says. And we can be confident that He hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases Him. And since we know He hears when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. The emphasis here isn't on the giving and the receiving. It's on the aligning our hearts with, with where God is at. But here it is. Man, listen. God desires for us to come to him and to pray and to ask him and to plead for him. And he hears our prayers, but before we ever pray, he knows what's on our hearts. And he knows the motives of our hearts. And the scripture says and talks to us about the fact that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, his resurrection acts as a testimony to confirm everything that he said. And not only that, his resurrection confirms, listen, that heaven and hell are real, that eternity is real. Jesus was the one that said, listen, trust in God, trust also in me, for in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. Jesus is the one that made the statement. And his resurrection from the dead was proof that he wasn't kidding. And for those of us that have buried loved ones, for those of us that have felt the sting of death, there's hope beyond the grave. Not just because the Bible says so. Not because the Bible says so. But because of the resurrection of Jesus. And as believers, we can be confident and knowing that our faithfulness and obedience one day will be rewarded. Revelation chapter 12, or 22 verse 12, Jesus himself said this, Look, I'm coming soon, and I'm bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha, and I am the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And one day, those of us that are followers of Jesus will be rewarded for our faithfulness and obedience. God does take an account for His children, our faithfulness and obedience. And what we do here on this earth does count for eternity. God does have a record book. And one day, we will be rewarded. You can mark it down because what Jesus said is truthful. And we know that because of the resurrection. But not only that, because of the resurrection of Jesus we can be assured that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. 
Savior, and Lord. We can be confident that Jesus is Savior and Lord. Can you imagine? We we have no earthly idea the emotions of those that lived on the left-hand side of the resurrection. You have the privilege. We have the privilege of being on the other side and knowing the ending of the story. But they didn't. We have no clue what it's like to to feel the hopelessness and the pain and the discouragement. To them, Jesus was dead. He was dead. And dead meant what? It meant dead. And but there are times that in our lives that we have that same sense of hopelessness and discouragement and abandonment when we don't believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. When we haven't come to the place of trusting and believing that Jesus is Savior and Lord. But see, when Mary was right here and Mary was at that place and Mary didn't know in all of Mary's discouragement, in all of Mary's pain, in all of Mary's hopelessness, in all of Mary's despair, what she didn't know was that things were about to change. Was that what she thought was, wasn't, but that Jesus was alive. And there are some of you here, you may have never come to the place of recognizing or knowing that Jesus is alive. But I tell you today that He is alive He's not in the grave. And in the midst of your hopelessness and your despair and your disappointment and in your discouragement and wherever you are, He is alive. We have the blessing of seeing what the written word says, of what the testimonies of those. But listen to me. Think about all those who were willing to give their lives for what they believed. He's alive. And the cross makes a difference. And a personal encounter with a resurrected Savior changes everything. I want to read to you a a piece of a letter that came to us, uh, one of our staff, not long ago, several weeks. And when we get together on Mondays, we have an opportunity to pray for those of you in reference to your request. And... uh, One of our staff brought this letter, and they shared it. They've been corresponding with somebody that has been at Heritage. Um, Right now, they're in prison or in jail and uh, because of an addiction issue. And um, I just wanted to be able to share that with you because there's sometimes that we feel that, that the Lord is far, far away. But he's not far away not far away at all. The staff person had been corresponding with this, this young lady and this is what she says. And I, I write, I read this with their permission. Thank you so much for writing me. It means very much and I appreciate and love you. 
I've put my life in God's hands and my trust in Him. I've come to realize His words are what speak to me when I'm alone. He's never left my side. I really want to be baptized when I get out. God has allowed this to happen to me so that I would call upon His name. I tell you today that He has heard me, that He has held my hand, and that He has changed me. I never realized how important the cross was until now. God did something for me that I could never do for myself. I have so much to be, to be thankful for. He's always been faithful to me. He's given me my life back. I'll give him the rest of my life. I hope God will use me in every way, every day, to help others come to know Jesus. While incarcerated, by the way. Several months ago, I came upon a song, a very powerful song, and I started doing some research on where this song had came from. And uh, I, uh, I learned that there was a young man that had um, been invited by one of his family members to meet him in a small community in South Georgia. And while he was there waiting, uh, he was walking through one of the graveyards there, waiting on his family member to arrive. And, and he, he ended up in a, in a graveyard where there was some old, old tombstones. Um, and this is a picture of that tombstone that he, he came upon. Um, it's an actual picture of that tombstone. He began to read the piece that was on that tombstone. And this is, this is the actual piece of what that tombstone and what it read. And I want to read that to you. He said, Here rest what was mortal of Samuel Burr, age 42, in search of health far from the endeared home. Death arrested his progress on April the 2nd, 1831. Quietly he fell asleep in the Christian hope of immortality and glory forever. Oh, the vanity of man in his best estate. Traveler, pause and drop a tear at a grave of one so worthy and so deeply lamented and learn wisdom for eternity. And he, he kept going back and he was, a, he was a songwriter, he was a musician and he took it back to some guys and they began to play because he kept saying, man, there's a, there's a song, there's a story inside of this. And over a period of time, they began to, to write words and put words to this song. And I, <clears throat> the first verse they came up with was, was this. And I want you to think of these words in reference to Mary Magdalene before she came to know Jesus, before her personal encounter with Christ, and before this young lady here that I just story I just read. And I want you to think about your own story for those of you that are followers of Jesus. Listen to what it says. Alone in my sorrows and dead in my sin, lost without hope, no place to begin, your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. I go back and I think about Mary Magdalene and I think about this young lady that's incarcerated and I think about others that I come in contact with probably the people during Mary Magdalene's time pushed her away, but Jesus didn't push her away. 
He knew that she was valuable. Just like this young girl that's in prison, that's incarcerated right now. And I shared with a group in the first service, you know, I know people that are incarcerated that are free. Yet I know people that are free that are incarcerated and in prison and in the bondage of sin. Are we on the same wavelength? And there may be some of you here today that are free. You're not in prison, but you're in prison. And you may be thinking, there's no way that God could love me because of all the junk I've got going on in my life for all the sin and all the stuff. I mean, if you just knew my past, there's no way that God could love me. If you knew the things that I've done, see, you don't know me. You know me, but you don't know me. And I love what the second verse says. It says, ash was redeemed. See, at the center of the gospel, and our faith is that word redeemed, and it means that God has a way of taking something that is valueless and not valuable at all and making it valuable, giving worth to it. God has a way of taking the junk of the past that we're ashamed of and the things that we wish we could overlook and liberating and rescuing us from that stuff, that bondage. And they went on to write in the song that ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. And I love, man, I love this. Our orphaned heart, our orphaned hearts were given a name. <laughs> Dottie, Sydney, Amber, Trey, Michael, Dave, Tom, Mary. Jesus is calling you today. And a personal encounter changes everything. And it goes on to say, when death was arrested, my life began. See, Jesus didn't stay in the grave. If Jesus was in the grave, we're wasting our time, people. But we celebrate Easter not just because of the story of the resurrection of Jesus, but because of the implications or the implications are this the resurrection changes stuff. It changes our lives. And if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, what is it that keeps you from coming to that place to say, Jesus, I surrender it all. Man, I give you my life. You can't follow him and hold on to anything. You can't hold on to anything. And if today you're here and you don't have that relationship, I, I want to invite you to come and just to minute or two, we're going to be singing together. There's going to be an opportunity to you to, to stand and to, to walk an aisle and to, there'll be some, some of our overseers that'll be standing here, some others, maybe some staff, for you to come and for you to, to say, listen, I, I, want, I want to trust Jesus. See, I'm that girl that's incarcerated. I'm not in prison, but I'm in bondage and I want to, I want to be set free from that. I'm that Mary Magdalene that was demon-possessed, I, but I hear Jesus calling my name, Mary, Mary. I want a personal encounter with Jesus. I want to give my life to him today. Maybe you're here and you just need to pray. 
But as we sing this song, it's an opportunity for you to respond and to reflect and to listen and to be grateful because he lives. The grave is empty and Jesus is risen and our hope lives. But before we sing, can I pray with you? overseers that are with us today, if you can go ahead and come on and any staff that would like to come and stand to receive people. Father, this morning I thank you for the believers that are here. I thank you for the ones that have lived before us, that have sacrificed so that others may come to know you. I thank you for for those in their early days that were willing to give of their lives because of what they knew to be true for their boldness and their courage, because of their faithfulness. 2,000 years later, we're able to to read firsthand of what they saw and what they experienced as Christ followers. And today we celebrate a risen Savior. Help us to grasp today more than the story, but the implications of the resurrection and to recognize that because of the resurrection of Jesus, that we can live with purpose as well as hope. Help us today, Father, to take what we've heard, to embrace the truth, and to respond effectively. As we listen to the song, death was arrested this morning. In Jesus' name.